Good morning or evening or afternoon, Timo. Welcome to Coach's Corner for another day. My name's Bart. For the next little while, I'm going to be your coach talking you through everything legs, how to build your legs, breaking your legs up into certain muscle groups. But before I do, remember, if you're not already, follow this podcast, share this podcast, get the word out so we can bring you more poignant quality content. Alrighty, legs. Now, your wheels... Your dump truck, whatever you want to call them, they are your foundation. Think about outside of training what your legs do. They carry you around all day and because they're so important, they take up a lot of our entire musculature. There's a reason why the glutes, the hams, the quads are all really big muscle groups because they need to be. And so what I like to think about with our legs is that our legs are our foundation, all right? They're our foundation for our upper body and they are fundamental for the human experience. And so what we're going to do today is talk about aesthetics. How can we grow our legs and shape our legs to make them look more aesthetics? But as I always say, aesthetics follow function. Form follows function. A good performing set of legs will be a good looking set of legs. Look at all the top powerlifters, look at sprinters, look at people who, who execute their, the performance of their legs at a high level. And I can guarantee you they're, they're shapely and subjectively good looking. So if we change our focus, like the same with weight loss, if we change our focus into what our legs can do and getting better at what they can do, often they will just, as a byproduct, start to grow and start to look better. Now, just like anything, I want you to make sure about sort of these overarching rules of shaping your legs. If you want your legs to look better, to shape, they need to grow. Remember, our muscles can't lengthen and and, and they can't smooth out. All they can do is grow and shrink. So when we're talking about shaping our legs, we need to make sure that we're eating in a calorie surplus. We need to make sure that we're gaining mass to shape them, which is a funny thing because a lot of people sort of eat in a deficit and, and look for fat loss, but also try and shape their legs at the same time. So it's sort of two opposing goals. And so which is why, especially on this podcast, we like to encourage this idea of mini cuts and mini bulks. So you're, you're growing, you're shaping your body, then you're revealing your body. You're growing, you're shaping it, then you're revealing it. And you're sort of fluctuating your calories as so to work towards this goal. I also like to think as well, especially with people who struggle to grow and shape their legs or, or sort of at a plateau with their legs, a lot of it's got to do with technique. A lot of it's got to do with how tight you are and how mobile or immobile your hips are. And so we've got to understand that we, we sit in this modern world quite a bit and we, we sit in not advantageous positions for our posture and for our hips. And so the front of our hips are often shortened, our lower back is often tight and our core is often weak. And so when we talk about these big leg movements like squats, like deadlifts, I want you to be able to execute them in full ranges of motion, controlling the movement. And if we don't have the prerequisite mobility to do that, your potential or your results are only going to get to a certain point. So with this idea of discussing what we're about to do in a second, the glutes, the hams and the quads, and growing them at the same time, they need to have the space and freedom to move properly to perform better. So if you've never addressed hip mobilization before, do a bit of research and practice it. It should be a practice before every single weight training session, particularly if you're doing squats, particularly if you're doing deadlifts. So we're going to break this up into three muscle groups, your glutes, your hams, and your quads. And we'll start with the glutes. 
when we think about the glutes, I want you to think about them as their their role as a part of a whole, not just isolating them. In fact, I want you to think about every muscle as that fact. I say this a lot, and it's the same with your glutes. If you just train your bicep, this small muscle on top of your arm, its growth potential is dependent on the muscles above it and below it. Remember, the body's an integrated system. It's not just going to grow one muscle, mainly because it doesn't have the supporting muscles to grow it. It doesn't have the, the prerequisite tendons and bone strength to support the actual hanging of that muscle on your structure. So we need to think about the structure as a whole. So I know there's a lot of people out there that are just training their glutes. They're just doing heaps of hip thrusts. Heaps of banded stuff and they're sort of neglecting the glutes role in the entire body. And, you know, as I mentioned before, there's a reason why the glutes are the most powerful part um, of the lower body. And so they need to be trained in a, in a varied way, which we'll go through um, in a second. I think as well, if you just train one muscle group, so if you just do hip thrusts and you're doing hip thrusts, at, you know, not just hip thrusts, but if you're doing a lot of hip thrusts and you're in a poor position, remember you're reinforcing that poor position every single rep you do it. And so what I see a lot is, is young girls in the gym who've got really tight lower backs, a really weak core, a shapely glutes, which, which is great, but their total function isn't there. And so when they try and do a movement like a squat or like a full range deadlift, they, they struggle because there's a severe imbalance with their lower body. And so um, I want to open this discussion about hip thrusts versus squats because it's quite poignant <laughs> at the moment. There's been a bit of recent recent research that says, you know, obviously both of them in your program are going to be more beneficial than just doing one. But as it turns out, the hip thrust isn't the king of glute exercises as we sort of believed it to be. And the reason is that of the loading and the tension on the glutes in the um uh, in the lengthened position of the contraction. So if you think about a hip thrust, the the highest point of tension is when the glutes are shortened at the top. But if we think about a squat, at the bottom of your squat, that glute is stretched out. It's under tension, and we know that's where we're going to build and create the most damage, which means there's more potential for growth there. So if we think about the king of glute movements, you know, really there's, there's a few. There's a deadlift, there's a squat, and there's a hip thrust. And I like the squat because it requires you to think about the technique of it. And it requires you to think about the prerequisite mobility of it. And I love this idea because you're not just you know, just doing a squat, you know. You're practicing it. You're getting better at it. And you can always get better at that movement. It just requires a bit of thought. So the hip thrust and the squat at the moment, what is better? My recommendation is to do both. What I want you to avoid is doing these small, too much of these small pumping movements with bands um, or with plates or, or on a smith machine like a kickback for example they're good to a point they're great activators they're great to activate the underactive muscles it might be good at the end of a workout to add a little bit more fatigue but if you're relying on these movements as the bulk of your workout we're talking sets of 10 20 30 40 um, glute kickbacks uh, you know band adductions glute bridges in my opinion and from my experience, there's not enough mechanical tension, there's not enough load to make some real wholesale changes to the glutes. All we're doing is just increasing their capacity to do more movement, which is the wrong signal we want to send to the body. So those small pumping movements to your glutes, save them to activate at the start of the workout or save them as a small little burner at the end of the workout, but stick to these movements, which I'm about to go through, to focus on your glutes. And I want you to think as well, there's a lot of caveats today, team. 
is that if we just train in one rep scheme, if we just train in one style, we're going to hit a plateau. So I want you to make sure no matter what we do with these exercises I'm about to suggest, you need to phase your training. There need to be phases where you're going, where you're doing a five by five or a six by three. You're going heavy with long rests, and then you need to phase that out into a phase where you're doing maybe sets of fifteen. Maybe even set to 20, but don't marry yourself to any rep range and work through all of them and vary your sets and your intensity as well. But here's my go-tos for, um, uh, for glutes. Squats, heavy back squats, heavy front squats. Those have moved the needle for me and a lot of my clients the most in the past. Deadlifts, in particular a conventional deadlift and or a sumo deadlift. Again, the most success I've had is when I've loaded them heavy. So think of the squat and the deadlift like a skill. We need to practice it. The more we practice it, the better out we get at. Uh, we get at it. The better, the better at it we get. The more we can load it up, and the more potential for growth we have. Then there's the hip thrust, classic barbell hip thrust. No ifs, ands about it. And lunge variations, particularly a reverse lunge, a front foot elevated reverse lunge. I really like, and the Bulgarian split squat. So you'll note. None of those except bar the hip thrust are isolation movements. They involve the whole integrated body and allow me to load the glutes heavily. All right. <coughs> hamstrings. The hamstrings are neglected. They're the neglected child of this trio of the, of the legs. But if we think about aesthetically what the hamstrings do is they really shape and frame the side, the, particularly when you look at the legs from the side. They give you width, they give you girth, and they give you this, uh, this look of strength. But they are often neglected, and they're often neglected partially because of, uh, of technique and poor programming. And so I want you to think about the function um, of the hamstrings. So we know there's a hamstring machine in most gyms where we can shorten and lengthen it. But if we think about very basic human function here, the hamstrings sort of have so – there's, there's two muscle-type fibres, but there's really three. But the hamstrings are more fast-twitch type 2 fibres because of sprinting. Not like if we think about the human body and how we evolved, the, the ability for us to move over distance for long times and our energy system to support that long distance movement is very unique in the animal world. And we've developed these fast twitch hamstrings so that when we need to sprint, we can. And the hamstrings are heavily involved in the sprinting motion. Um, so I think that that explosive movement is something that is also neglected now that I think of it, when we think about our hamstrings. And so here are my go-tos for hamstring training. The, the first is deadlift and deadlift variation. So these include a conventional deadlift. I don't really use sumo if I want to really focus on the hamstrings. I bring the feet right in under the hips. Conventional deadlift, uh, a stiff-legged deadlift, a Romanian deadlift with varying implements. Barbell, dumbbell, uh, kettlebell, what have you. I don't, I'm not, not the biggest fan of the Smith machine in most instances. I prefer the free weights and the stabilizers, but those are my go-tos. And then I want you to think about, when we think about hamstring curls, I mentioned the, the hamstring curl machine before. I want to prioritize hamstring curls, which is where you bring your heel to your butt in an open hip position. The, the seated hamstring curl machine I'm not the biggest fan of because I think where it's not the most advantageous position to get the most tension on the hamstrings. The prone hamstring curl where you're lying face down is a little bit better because your hips are, are more open, which means to me we can isolate the hamstrings more and contract the hamstrings more. 
So an open hip hamstring curl position. I'm also a big fan of, again, an open hip position here is a Swiss ball hamstring curl um, and a Nordic curl. If you've ever done a Nordic before, you know about it because it's very, very hard. But your hips remain open and you're creating tension in that open hip position. So I like to prioritise those, alrighty. If you've never done those before, try it, particularly the Swiss ball hamstring curl. But no matter what hamstring curl um, uh, you're doing, I want you to focus on trying to bring your heel as close to your butt as possible. So looking for the fullest range as possible. In fact, here's a litmus test for you. Stand up, stand on one leg, use something to stabilise yourself. Then I want you to try and bring your heel to your butt without any weight and try and get it as close as possible and hold it there for five seconds. Often you'll get a cramp because you haven't used that range of motion before. So getting your heel as close to your butt as possible, under load or not under load, is a great way to develop those hamstrings. Remember, range of motion is really important for most movements. I think it's very important for hamstring uh, development in particular. And the last thing I've got here, so we've gone through deadlift variations, we've gone through open hip hamstring curls, and finally, is sprinting. You know, if you've never if you've never sprinted, <laughs> if you haven't sprinted in a long time, I'm sure you sprinted before, especially as a kid. But if you haven't sprinted in a long time, it's a skill to just keep in your arsenal. You don't need to do it every day, but if we practice it often, we won't lose that skill. The body learns skills through practice, but it unlearns skills through neglect. So if we don't do a movement pattern for a while. Our body will de- uh, unprioritize and downregulate whatever muscles are involved in that movement. It's the same with sprinting. So I recommend for most healthy people to try and sprint at least once every two weeks, and it doesn't need to be a lot. It can just even be two, you know, 200 metres or 250 metres or 220 metres just to keep that fast twitch activation in there, particularly on your hamstrings. And finally, I want to talk about your quads. Everyone hits the quads because they're on the front of the body and you can see them. It's the same with chest, the same with abs, same with shoulders. They're the beach muscles because they're uh, on the front of the body. From experience, for those struggling to grow their quads, I don't think you're going heavy enough, which is a very general statement, but um, is often is often true, I find. This is, this is anecdote, um, not much research to back this up, but... We walk on the on the, on our legs all day. They can take a lot of work. They can take a lot of load. And so if we go into the gym and just do 20 different sets of, of squatting variations with 15 reps, we're just doing more of what it, what it usually does. And remember, the fastest way to change your body is to do what it's not doing. And the heavy stuff is what the legs are not doing. So I've had great success with heavy movements. Simple five-by-fives, you know, even looking for heavy doubles and heavy triples in certain phases and with long rests. So if you are currently doing a leg day where you're doing you know, a, a squat, a leg press, a hack squat, and a leg extension, my recommendation is to split that volume up throughout your week. Maybe do a, a squat and a leg extension on Monday, a hack squat on Wednesday, and then a lunge variation, and maybe a sissy squat on Friday. So you, the volume is reasonably the same, but you're just splitting it up, allowing yourself to recover and allowing yourself to go heavier on those movements. Remember, fitness isn't about how much you can tolerate. It's about sending the right signal with the tools that we have. And so um, from that, I suppose there's two other things I want to note here is that a lot of people neglect the VMO and the, rec- the rec- rectus femoris, your rectus fem. VMO is your muscle that's right on the side of the knee. And people often think that leg extension will, will sort of solve that, and it does to a point. But the, 
the main point of the VMO is to stabilise that knee. So we need to put our knee in unstable positions. So lunge variations are really good here. Or one thing I found out recently is narrow stance, high heel elevated squats with your butt dropping right down to your heels can really fire up your VMO. Very aesthetic if you build it over time, but also very functional, particularly if you have knee pain. So don't think that that leg extensions on the machine are, are the, the be-all and end-all here. Um, and your rec fem. Rec just for more sort of inserts in through your hips and it runs down the middle of your leg. It's the one that runs down the middle. Um, and so just like open hip knee extension, uh, 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 knee flexion movements, uh, with the hamstrings, sorry, knee, extent, knee flexion, yeah. Um, I like to do the same with the rect fem. So if you want to try and develop that muscle that runs down the middle of your hip, try and do movements that bend the knee but keep your hip open. And there's not many of them, right? There's a leg extension machine here at the gym um, below our office that doesn't have a back. So you can lean right back and open up your hips and you can feel that rect fem kick on. Um, but there's also a movement called a sissy squat, which I've been playing with a little bit. If you've got healthy knees and you want to make them even healthier, look up the sissy squat and practice it. And look up regressions of the sissy squat. So start slow and work your way up. Hips remain open. You're putting a hell of a lot of tension on your entire quad, particularly your rec fam. It's a great way to develop the entire f- structure of that front of the body. Here are my movements for the squat, for the um, <laughs> for the squats, for the quads. Get them heavy. Squat variations. So we're talking a back squat, we're talking a front squat, a zercher squat, a safety bar squat, but heavy, particular if you haven't done heavy squat movements in a while. And again, if you need if you need assistance here, team, hire a coach. They'll be able to help you out. I like lunges, um, particularly when we vary the depth of the lunge. I like a Bulgarian split squat with that front foot elevated, so we can drop that knee even lower. Really good for the glutes as well. Um, and depending on the stretch, you might feel your hamstrings a bit too. I love a leg press too. Um, I've recently just started doing leg press because I haven't done them in ages and I've just been squatting too much. Um, and it's been incredible for my for my legs because of the novelty of it. But with the leg press, make sure we're using full range of motion, make sure we're not letting that lower back tilt off. And the single leg work. If you haven't done much, you know, pistol squats or single leg box squats or lunges, do that and you'll see your legs blow up. Team, that's it all about legs today. Um, I hope you take something from this from this episode. I hope you learned a thing or two. If you have, share this show. Hey, put up a post on Instagram, you know, screenshot or share off Spotify by clicking the three dots and clicking the share button, sharing your story. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and that's it from me. Keep living your, your personal best. Until next time, adios.